You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish Football Podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans and joining me this week are, as always, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Hiya. Everything all right over there? Yeah, very good, thank you. Everyone's still alive? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Any new coughs? <laughs> no, no, no. no okay, just, that's uh, good news. Also with us uh, is a top radio producer, and now he has put one massive shoe into the world of podcasts. He did Beyond Reasonable Doubt, which I enjoyed so much that I went to see a live recording of an episode of it. And now uh, the podcast Manhunt, uh, which I've listened to every episode of on the BBC Sounds app. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. He is, of course, Mark Sandell. Very good evening, Phil. Very good evening, Jim. How's things over there? Uh, Mark's, got his, Mark's got his picture on. Me and Jim have our pictures turned off, but Mark's is on. So I'm watching. I'm watching how he behaves in in his house. Uh, and uh, <laughs> on the whole, it's pretty much like the way I behave in my house. So that's encouraging because if you don't see anyone for a long time, you don't really know how everyone else is behaving behind closed doors. And so it's good to have the feeling that I, I'm validated in the way that I behave. I'm sitting in front of a computer very much in the way Mark is. He's indoors, got his glasses on because he doesn't have to be handsome when he, because he's not going outside. So he hasn't got his contact lens, got his glasses on, he's got a sweat top, as do I. And, he uh, might not be wearing trousers, though. We can't no, tell. No, that's true. There's a lot of that about, isn't there? Yeah. From what I've heard. Yes. Uh, now, we ended last week's podcast and, in fact, began it on a very high note because we'd had our triumphant demolition of Hull in the uh, Caribou Woody Word Cup. And uh, and we'd also beaten Wolverhampton Wanderers, which we weren't really expecting. So we were setting ourselves up for a mighty fall. And after last Wednesday, uh, that fall seemed to be well on the cards because we failed to show up against Premiership competition in the Carabao Cup. And now we're not in that cup anymore. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that. And then we will talk about our triumphant return to playing in the Premier League with our proper A team, our cheaper footballers, uh, and uh, the way that we managed to uh, very comprehensively see off Leicester City, which is all very pleasing. So, first of all, Jim, uh, out of the three of us, I think you're the only person that watched uh, pretty much every moment of that Carabao Cup game. It was uh, a very disappointing uh, defeat. I sort of hoped that 
this very expensive B team we had was going to sort of pull out a miraculous cup run because it's just too talented for other teams that are resting players that, you know, Felipe Anderson, Allaire and Yarmolenko with Jack Wilshire behind them and Lanzini were going to kind of go on a run having demolished a... Uh, um, Charlton and Hull so convincingly but no the second no. the premiership opposition turned up they folded like a house of cards yeah I mean Everton looked good it has to be said um, mm-hmm. uh, they moved the ball you know quickly um, we were sort of in the game in the first half they scored a peach of a very kind of direct route one goal a bit similar to the four nails one um, you know just, just sprang the offside trap and Calvert-Lewin and, and finished it very well um, but then we got into the game straight after um, half time and then it was back to one one I thought we could give it a give it a go we hadn't been completely uh, outplayed in the first half but the, the the rest of the second half performance was dismal it's got to be said they had a bit of luck with their I think it might have been their second goal was a big deflection yeah but, um, I saw it after maybe it was the third one actually I, I saw it after our equaliser and with each subsequent goal we just folded yeah. until we just looked you know there's 45 million pound players just looking dispirited and uninterested. Yeah, they were poor. I mean, they really were. And and um, I mean, you, when you've got, when you move from Rice and Suchek in central midfield to Noble and Snodgrass, the difference is very, very apparent. Those those are both capable footballers, but they, they haven't got the energy. They don't get around the pitch. They don't close space. They don't press the opposition. They don't break play up and all those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, they dwell on it, you know. And so even if the front three had been at it, which they kind of weren't, um, uh, they weren't going to get, you know, fast service or, or whatever. So it was, you know, in, in a sense, the whole thing was, it wasn't just... The, the current front three um, in the Premier League being being so obviously better and in better form, um, it was it, it ran through the whole team. It was you know we the, the front half of the team just didn't function. Mark, what were you about to say? Well, well yeah, I was going to say one of the talking points. I mean, I, I, obviously, I didn't see as we made very clear. I didn't see it all. I only saw the the highlights. And and even then, we could you know there was a potential penalty turned down we were back in the game you know early in the second half um they did run away with it um in the end and i agree with you and we were giving the ball away from what i could see again just purely from the highlights one of the things if you saw the whole game jim what about you know everyone was saying that if Declan rice eventually does leave us he was people think that he'll go and end up playing a central defense which he was playing that night what, what was your what did you make of his performance um, I, I, I think Rice is. is it, uh, I think he's. Um, he looked rusty in some respects. Um, it, it wasn't his best performance. Um, I think he's a central midfielder now, and uh, he might fit into a kind of back three um, as he had done before under Moyes. But I, I think it's a waste of. You know, we saw. Uh, you know, from some of the. You know the lung-busting run and hitting the crossbar on you know against Leicester. That you know he offers yeah. a lot more than just breaking play up and blocking things and running around. You know he's a he's a class act. Um, so it feels like you're you're wasting a, a you know a, a very a very good resource by putting him in, in central place. But it's an indication of of the fact we're you know we're short, aren't we? There's a squad. The squad is really, really, you know, thin and thinner now after the transfer window yeah. closed. So, yeah, um, I think we've got to take something out of the transfer window. We did. We we hung on to our mascots, didn't we? So I think we've got to we've got to take that as a positive. Yeah, I thought that you know I had a little Facebook conversation about it today, in that the the sort of the the abiding. Um, rumour or narrative regarding Rice and um, the fact that Chelsea wanted him and that simply wouldn't go away but it was also that um, Lampard wanted him as a central, wanted to repurpose him as a central defender and um, that just seemed to me like well you know he plays for England in midfield why would he change position just to go and play for Chelsea, you know, and, and um, sort of compromise his England prospects. It seems like a strange uh, step, you know, not that 
a talented central defender isn't a kind of desirable asset, but he's already, you know, playing midfield. And I think he's growing as a sort of an attacking midfield force. You know, he he's getting more space to run with the ball. He's sort of much... He tries stuff more than he used to. And, um, you know, yeah. I think that, you know, the right outcome has happened. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree. And I, 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 I didn't really think that those all those rumours were really ever going to um, come to anything because it, 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 I don't think for one thing you know the, the the meltdown that would have happened if we would have actually ended up on deadline day selling rice I mean it would have been suicide wouldn't it in, in, on, yeah. on, in footballing terms suicide but from the point of view of the owners I mean they're, they're unpopular enough as it is um, you know I don't think I, I, that was never going to happen I don't think um, I mean, I think you're right to an extent, Mark, that there are some positives. I mean, if you look at the outgoings, with the possible exception of, of well, the exception of Dean Garner, which we could we could talk a bit about because we haven't really covered that on the podcast. Um, with the exception of Dean Garner, I don't think anyone would be would be shedding tears over the over the players who've gone. You know, um, Ajeti didn't look up to it. Um, to be honest, I, I don't know if the um, Anderson loan is confirmed, but um, I, I don't think people, re- you know, he just clearly doesn't really want to be playing for West Ham, as far as I could see. No, um, I mean, the the I I think I managed to get in and uh, watch it on a, a stream uh, after the Snodgrass goal had come in, so basically saw their last three Everton's last three goals, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, you know the uh, those players that don't get into the team and there's a little bit of clamour for why doesn't, you know, um, Moyes make substitutions and bring them on at 60 minutes or the second half or something. Well, I mean, in a way, that performance showed you why. It's like if you bring anyone from that front three on to replace anyone in the current front, th- front three, Antonio, um, Bowen and Fornals, you will weaken that front three. They yeah. won't press the other team's goal. They won't press the defenders. They won't uh, make life difficult for defenders. They won't do it. And so you might get conceded again. You might get, you know, someone might score against you. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, um, it's very clear that Moyes is determined to play with 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 a team that is uh, high energy, um, puts in puts it does the running, um, you know, and and presses presses the opposition um, and plays in a very compact, you know, squeezes space on the pitch, and you have to have the legs and the energy to be able to do that. However uh, talented and capable you are, um, and Anderson. Um, he, I mean, whether it's confident for a long time, we were we were assuming it's just he's lacking confidence. But he didn't, you know. It's it's you can be lacking confidence, you can still really, really try. And yeah, um, I, I, he, he just looked like. Um, I mean, they, they were all poor, but he he was he was particularly poor, giving the ball wretched. away and not not you know he was he was yeah he was wretched. And what was about to say, looked, Only only that I just think that we. That, that we sort of fell in love with him and fell out of love with him sort of fairly quickly. I think. I think he's yeah. he's in many respects he's he's such a he's such a West Ham player when he's when he's on form. He's the, he's just the kind of player we love. You know, lovely touch, little bit can be outrageous and all that kind of thing. But when you see the other side of that, which, as you say, is that you know that that apparent lack of effort. That, lack of confidence um, and then you suddenly, he suddenly looks like a liability and it was as if we sort of went it was almost like we'd seen the light with him you know having really loved yeah. him we'd but, be definitely excited to get him yeah. yeah absolutely um, I mean I thought it was I think he was quite extraordinary I mean in that first season with uh, Arnautovic sort of up with him and in front of him he, he did do some fantastic things but he it just seems to be, you know, we've always said that he's a bit, seems to be very introverted on the pitch. He's not a very kind of expressive player in his, um, both in his demeanour and in his play. But I think increasingly he's, uh, he's hidden inside of games, you know. I think he came on, I think it might be that Arsenal at the Emirates before we went into lockdown. And I think he came on for a spell at the end of the game for like 10 minutes or something. Um, almost just, 
hid, you know, just didn't make himself available for the ball, you know, was really happy to just jog around and run the clock down, you know, and, mm. and, and I, you know, uh, I, I always felt I saw that a little bit with Matt Jarvis. He seemed to be like a confidence player. He had all the chops to be uh, a good winger. He was, you know, he was quick. Uh, he could pass the ball. He had decent feet, but he would often just not seem to make himself available. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, um, uh, it was an opportunity, wasn't it, on Wednesday for, for, for him to really show willing and, uh, um, you know, kind of, and he didn't. And um, there are rumours of fallings out with Moyes, aren't there? Um, whether or not that's true, I, d- I, d- I don't know. But in the end, you know, He's uh, he's a lot of money and he's a lot of wages per week for yeah. someone who isn't really going to feature, isn't really going to make an impact in your in your first eleven. So you can see on one side of the whole transfer thing, you know, if, if it's if it's Moyes led, you know, it is it is about clearing dead wood exactly, but getting rid of the kind of players who aren't going to fit the way he wants to play. Yeah, um, yeah. Mark, what did you make of the transfer? Win? He's not been backed up, has he? No, yeah, just 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 say one quick thing, Jim. I, I think you know you're right that that was an opportunity for him to do well, but you get the feeling that it was pretty much an open secret that we were trying to offload him. And I'm not sure how motivated I'll be in a yeah. you know I know it's wrong to say yeah being stuffed away at Everton in the Carabao Cup when you know you're on your way, you know that it's over. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that might be true. Um, what, what do you make of the window? I mean, you know, one thing that is a little galling is that you know. I mean, they're obviously, you know, tacitly, if not overtly, pleading no money. We have no money. Those last couple of Pellegrini transfer windows, we spent a lot and we just can't spend that again. Um, However, they didn't spend their Grady Diangana money and they had plenty of time to spend that. They spent five million of it on um, uh, Kufal, who we will discuss later on in this uh, podcast. But, um, you know, they had, uh, they could have spent, you know, another. I don't know, 10 or something, especially given that they've got some people off the wage bill and sold a couple of players. I mean, they sold Cullen. Um, um, that, that's, yeah. that's, the one I, that's what I was going to say. That's the one that, obviously, apart from Diangiana, obviously, uh, but that Cullen is the one that I don't quite... It, it's as if somewhere along the line, he's, he's upset somebody or something because he just he hasn't been given a run. He's impressed when he's been on loan, we, you know, we, we particularly if we're going to, uh, you know, get rid of Felipe and, you know, we, we could do with, um, you know, a, a strong midfielder like that. By all accounts in pre-season, he was really good and everyone was looking forward to him sort of linking up. That That's the one that sort of puzzles me a bit. So as if yeah, someone, he, he was good in one of the earlier Carabao Cup games, wasn't he? Was he good? He was in the Charlton one, he played in the Charlton one. Um, I saw, and I saw all the pre-season games as well and, and yeah, he was decent. He was decent. I think it is more... I suspect it is more about the style of the style of player. I mean, I think he you know, he, he can't be he's he's down the pecking order, obviously. Um, and I think probably himself wants once at twenty four, he wants a chance to kind of kind of prove himself. I mean, it's been a, it's not just Moyes, is it? It's been a succession of managers who have not fancied him. Um, I agree, I agree with that. But it, I suppose the other thing then is you think well. One of the things we do like, and when we, you know, is people who've come through our academy, and we like yeah. people who've got, you know, and he has, and has stayed with us. We've lost Ngakia, and obviously Dianjana, who, who, who obviously came to do that. I just don't think that's a fantastically positive message to be sending out. No. No. Oh no, I don't. I, I totally agree. I particularly agree with with, with regards to Dianjana, but all the evidence suggests that that well, that was one that Moyes didn't want. Um, no, so, no, that's so, true. Yeah. Um, um, and there was. You know, um, I, think, I think there is. There are worrying signs that um, you know everything is being geared up to kind of uh, to throw Moyes under the bus, as has happened to managers in the, in in the past. And it's very frustrating because at the moment, the way he's the way the the management team, let's call it that, um, are getting the first team to play in the Premier League um, mm. is. Really, very, very impressive. I mean, I would say the last two games taken together, and you could even add the Arsenal game to that because their performance was strong and we should have won it. Yeah, we're um, the most un-West Ham sequence of games I can remember in a in a in a long, long time. We we 
we were, we've been high energy, we've been organized, we've been compact, we've been clinical in front of goal. We've we've squeezed the life out of two much vaunted sides in the But the thing about the transfer window is is also the fact that I mean we actually do need bodies. We do need some professional footballers Absolutely. more than just eleven of them. And I mean I, you know, for me it seemed that holding on to Cullen simply if you know Suchek gets a knock or Rice gets a knock. It's like we literally don't have any more footballers. It's like we're selling all of that, you know, from having this um, embarrassment of riches in midfield, theoretically, uh, until Lanzini's form fell away, Anderson's form fell away, Wilshire just kept getting injured, as we partially suspected he would. Um, we're now down to bare bones again, but uh, uh, in a way that's been quite systematically... Um, carried out, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's very worrying if if the plan isn't to now recruit from the from the championship, which they can do up until I think about the twenty fifth of October. Yeah. Um, you can only hope that that's what the plan is, because yeah. uh, as you said, the, in theory, the money is is there to 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 they've made bids, you know, up to thirty million pounds supposedly, you know, so. Um, you know, if we're to believe that the money's available, then it's we're crying out, as you say, for bodies and and people who can come in and and keep that system going. And I think that was the concern. I mean, that's the concern is that you know this is what happens when you keep. Ch- I've argued year for years about not changing managers in every season. If you keep changing managers, you build up a confusion of players in the club. You, you get you, you uh, uh, an imbalance of styles of players. Absolutely, yeah. You know. And I think you know what a club needs is stability and consistency through through the ranks we need you know you need a youth team uh, academy team um, an under 23 team that's 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 in tune with what's going on at the top and playing starting to prepare players to to come into that system and you need you need a recruitment policy which isn't about getting you know making exciting videos and getting fans excited it's about the player that the manager wants to fit into the system so but surely surely um example of that yeah, but surely, uh, uh, Mark, uh, what do you think about this? I mean, it, it doesn't seem, I mean, we, we can speculate sort of dark uh, dark motivations on the part of kind of, you know, Sullivan Gold and Brady, all we like, but it seems very strange that there would be any advantage to be gained by them or any reason to, as you say, Jim, throw Moyes under the bus because mm. he's doing a good job. I mean, what? You know, there's really nothing to be gained from that. No, they, they, I, can't, I they can't be thinking, oh, Pellegrini was great. Oh, the fans made us get rid of Pellegrini. And now we've got David Moyes. He's rubbish and he's made it worse. You're kind of going, I mean, that just I, isn't happening. I, I would agree with that. Even I'm fully prepared to um, uh, to believe how Machiavellian they can be. But I, I, I might be... You know, it might be stretching it for me. Um, the I think the your answer to your question about what you make of the transfer window. I think the thing is we just don't know at this point because presumably yeah. there must be some plans. I mean, I just seen um, uh, betting on Danny Welbeck apparently his favourite to come to us. You know, having been released by Watford. Now, you know, there must be some plan there, and 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 you have to give credit to you know our, our last two major signings, Bowen and Suchek, and if, if we're going to talk about Kufal as well, they're Moy's signings, and they are yes. being yeah. fantastically successful. Yeah. And where Antonio is now playing now is where he's clearly enjoying it. Yeah. We're enjoying playing there, and that again is a Moy's. You know, as far as I can see, that's a Moyes decision. Yeah. And so, you know, so it might be it might be easy to go. Well, we didn't get much money for Josh Cullen, but if he does have his eye on, uh, you know, some decent players in the uh, in the championship, well, then we might be looking at this transfer window in a different way. Um, judging by yeah. bringing Kufal in, maybe they're just asking people to give their mates a shout. Maybe you know, Jared Bowen's going to chat to some mates from. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe it's the model: use the players as scouts. That saves you money. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, but so I think it may well be, and I, I don't want to sound ridiculously optimistic, but probably after the last couple of games, you do sort of, it does give you a slightly different demeanour. Maybe there is a plan. Yeah, well, you, yeah. you've just got to hope so, because as Phil says, if not, we, we are like, we've just got about a bare 
we haven't even got a bare match day squad barely, have we? I mean, there won't be 25 people to put in a squad. So they I mean, must you know, there, there, recruit. There, 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 are people you know. that, there are people that, you know, they absolutely despise uh, um, Gold, Sullivan and Brady, and that's absolutely fine. They're sort of entitled to do that. But but again, you know, as Mark, you said, that you know, as Machiavellian as we imagine they are, uh, there are people who are saying they want the team to get relegated to the championship. And there's just no... No. reason why they should want that it's not yeah they can't and won't sabotage their own business and let no. you know you know having I mean, said, people having that, that fire to their factories for the insurance are doing something a bit along those lines but there's just no i don't think there's a formula in the world by which the owner of a football club would wish for their team to be relegated. And that's the only way I, I can imagine them wanting to, quote marks, throw Moyes under the bus, is go, right, we won't let him have any new players and it'll be so shit, they'll get relegated like they nearly did last season. That just doesn't seem that feasible. No. I wouldn't. I mean, if Machiavelli was available, I think they'd try and sign him. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, but I think uh, the 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 I've have seen this kind of theory out there that you know basically if we get relegated, we'll get rid of them and all that kind of thing. And and I don't I don't sort of I don't kind of hold with that because apart from anything else, a lot of other people would get hurt. If you see what I mean, they're not going to yeah. be hurt. They will walk off with plenty of money and all of that. And I I just can't. You know, I, I, again. I, Maybe totally wrong or very naive, but I think that will be uh, that will be a long shot. I think. Yeah, they are a little bit. They do, do seem to be, you know, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a kiss of death because the women's team just is less than the sum of its parts, isn't it? It's sort of, yeah. it's doing really badly. You know, I've been watching the sort of the show on BBC Three about it, and I mean. They're just losing games that really they should win with the players they've got through through some malaise that clearly goes throughout the team and maybe comes down from the top. It is sort of, you know, you do feel that West Ham sort of under the tenure of our current uh, board, you know, there is something that has to be sort of overcome, which again is like Moyes has shown on two occasions that he's managed to keep us up and get us playing some good football once after Bilic and once after Pellegrini. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, all our hopes are with him at the moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's he's made himself sort of indispensable, hasn't he, in, a, in, in that sense. But I... I I, I'll be, I, I suspect they, I don't think they get on. And I suspect that, um, uh, and I think he stood up to them over transfers because I think there were plenty of names who we were linked with and plenty of people they want, they would have been quite keen to bring in. So it was like kind of Allardyce used to say, you know, every so often he suddenly would just buy you a present and this bloke would turn up <laughs> with, a, with a kit at the ground and you'd know yeah. who he was, you know. Um, that kind of interfering kind of meddling. And they want... They want sexy footballers. They, you know, they, you know, they, they buy into that. And I, and I, I'm, I, I think, you know, uh, I'd be, I, I reckon that I would be surprised if Moyes is our manager next season. Really, I, yeah, really, I don't. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I just, I think, I think they've not only, well, they've clearly not backed him in the way that all the fans would want in terms of the transfer market. I do think if you look at the his coaching staff. They've clearly backed him in that respect. Yeah. And I, would, and, I, and I would think, and there is something genuinely lovely seeing Kevin Nolan and Stuart Pearce um, yeah. alongside yeah. Irvin and Paul Nevin. And you, and you do think if you're a player and you decided not to give much of a performance like Felipe did against Everton or a few others did, I wouldn't want to walk into that dressing room afterwards having not tried very hard. No. I'm trying to. <laughs> Explain that, that to Kevin Nolan or I mean, that, that Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you who's not going to like that. Stuart Pierce isn't going to like that if you walk <laughs> into the dressing room that way. You know, I'm really pleased they got Stuart Pierce. I'm, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes at City and stuff, but, you know, he's got a bit of management chops with the England under-21s and, um, uh, you know, the City job. And uh, he strikes me as someone who is conscientious and sort of hard-working. And uh, I think he'll be a good sort of presence. Um, we'll talk about the, uh, the Leicester game uh, after this message.
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. This podcast is brought to you by Beer 52. It's the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every month. Every month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, and all over the USA and Europe. And they are offering eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www beer52.com that's beer52.com forward slash West Ham and just cover the £5.95 for the postage perfect in lockdown when the pubs close at 10 if dark beer is not your thing you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with the award winning beer magazine ferment and a snack don't worry though if you do so if you need uh, food and drink uh, this this will give you everything you need to survive lockdown and if you change your mind you can always pause or cancel your account at any time so just go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham that's beer52.com forward slash West Ham to get your first case of eight beers for five pounds 95 beer52.com forward slash West Ham. Welcome back. Uh, it's now time to talk about our triumphant uh, uh, victory over Leicester at the weekend. Uh, do you do you think, lads, that um, it helps that, in the same way that they say that if you if you take a baby out of an unfamiliar environment and take it somewhere else, you should have something like a pillowcase that smells of its mother, uh, just to make it feel that it's on familiar ground. Do you think that the the fact that as assistant manager, West Ham have a, a man that looks almost exactly the same and sounds almost exactly the same as their actual manager. <laughs> He's the equivalent of a kind of blanket that smells of a nursing mother. Um, <laughs> I, I think, well, I, I haven't thought that, but uh, now I do think that, yeah. I think Fabian Balbuena still totally, calls him Mr totally Moyes and believes yeah. that he is, he is actually David Moyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've, you've cracked it, mate. You've, you've you've worked it out. It gives it a sense of continuity, doesn't it? It's, it feels like uh, they've seamlessly gone from <laughs> one manager to another manager by getting the second manager to simply look and sound like the first manager. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's working. Yeah, it's it is working. working. It is working. Um, you know, those are two teams that. Uh, you know, sometimes we 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 rally against uh, the you know the the traditional sort of top six teams, don't we? But it's over the last couple of years, some of these teams like uh, Leicester and Wolves, and strangely for us, Brighton are the teams that really put banana skins under us, uh, yeah. bulky teams. And you know that seemed to be a massive banana skin in the waiting with Leicester. Well, not even, you know, not a surprise banana skin, a banana skin that's perfectly visible on the pitch. And yeah. There to just fall over, you know, just get turned over by Leicester fairly effortlessly. You know, a 3 0 loss was, you know, if you suggested that that might be the scoreline, people would go, yeah, well, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no. We do we do a zoom along for uh, for all the games and uh, there was not a single well there was not a single person before the Leicester game I think Mark Gower boldly predicted a win against Wolves uh, but he may have been on the rosé at the time right um, with the but with the Leicester game there wasn't a single person that gave us anything better than a draw they just thumped Man City yes. and yeah. we and we obviously think because we're West Ham fans that that win against Wolves was a total freaky one off. 
and um, yeah. and would not be you know in any way repeated in such a, a, a you know in, in such a fine style. Even when we yeah. scored first, I was still thinking, well, this this won't last long. And then you start to realise how many times have you been to a game when you thought you it, you know how enjoyable would it be if the game was pretty wrapped up with, with five six minutes to go just to enjoy that because we never seem to win games like that. No. We're always hanging on. We're always you know there's seven minutes of injury time and all of that. But that's two games in a row now where you've thought, do you know what? We're okay here. You know, even when yeah. even when Vardy went through and did that little flick at the end and you thought, well, if that goes in, I'd still back us to, to hold on. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, what I've really enjoyed, because, um, I mean, yeah, Leicester and Wolves are, 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 are two sides who have, you know, conspicuously over the last few seasons sort of kind of gone ahead of us as it were in in, yep. in global yeah. terms um and uh, as you rightly say phil you know regularly turn us over and um there's a kind of what i enjoyed was was overturning the obvious media narrative the obvious narrative of the of the you know we were so often west ham in premier league televised football um are you know the you know we're, we're the we're the christians to the to the lions aren't we you know and um uh there was just this, this everything was about how good wolves were and what and everything was about how you know how brilliant vardy is and how many it was you know it was how many is vardy going to get today against this lamentable opposition and yeah. um it's just so good to. I mean, it wasn't just kind of we nicked a win or anything. No, we crushed those two teams. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. There was, you know, that that could have been eight nil and six nil very very easily. Um, uh, the, there was a point after we scored the second goal um, where I just, we were just rampant. We were. They were. They didn't know what was coming at them and um, from no, what direction. No. You know, and that is really unusual. I mean, you know, in 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 watching West Ham, isn't it? That that sense that we do an utterly professional job, yeah, squeezing the life out of another team. And yeah, I thought, I thought, I Go on, Mark. I, I felt with the, I felt with the Wolves game. I felt there was an element of Wolves the way that they uh, played against us, which I think they rather it rather felt like they thought they only really needed to turn up. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I didn't feel that with Leicester. And one of the things, I did feel that they genuinely realised they were in a bit of a battle. And it is always a good indication. And when you saw, um, was it Traore uh, wrestling Antonio to the ground in sheer frustration in that yeah, game? Yeah. And seeing Soyuncu doing pretty much a similar thing in this game. And you thought, you know, it is, you know, it. We thought we might have it a little bit with Andy Carroll. We thought that if he, we could get him fit, he's the kind of striker that nobody yeah, wants yeah. to play against. And obviously, we, he was never really fit when he had a good run in that last season at Upton Park. But looking at Antonio now, they, you know, who I know they said it on Match of the Day, but who on earth would want to play against him? And yeah, particularly, yeah. particularly with Jared Bowen buzzing around him as well. You know, it, it, it's it's fabulous to see. And it, it goes to the heart of also what you both were saying earlier. It is fabulous to see us playing like this but we are dead vulnerable yeah. one one injury in four or five key positions there yeah. and all of a sudden and that's the thing so it's lovely to enjoy it but it feels like it's it's you know will it just be short-lived yeah, yeah. it's on a knife edge i mean you know it's it's a bit like um you know the what what was good about the boys of 86 season is that sort of 11 players stayed fairly fit for uh, the, almost the entirety of the season, or, or when Leicester won the title, Leicester won the title with yeah, yes. very players, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who knows? You know, you might be, you might get lucky, but on the whole, we don't. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, Mark. That the, the next uh, few days are going to tell whether or not it's been a disastrous tran transfer window, or whether or not it's been a planned, carefully, you know, strategic getting rid of people who don't fit the moulds and replacing them with players that do um we shall see i mean we I, saw know. a bit of it in the, we saw a bit of it in those last few games of last season uh during lockdown and then this season yes um what we've seen for the first time in two or three years is uh the opposite of what's made us a really shit side is a team that is less than the sum of its parts yeah. this team is a team that you know there's an extra something in the team that they all bring and they bring that to it through by dint of their work 
integrate and how much they work for each other. And that's been missing since really Bilic's second season. You know, it's yeah. been like a kind of mismatched bunch of guys with a terribly uh, weak midfield. Now we have a midfield with Suchek and Rice in it. I think a lot of teams yeah. would sort of look at our midfield and go, those guys are great. You know, they work hard. They are, they're outstanding. They're absolutely outstanding. And they've dominated... To be fair, you know they dominated in the game against Arsenal, but we didn't get, we didn't, we didn't have no. chances, and and were a bit, a little bit, you know, gave two soft goals away, really, you know, in in a sense. But um, I'm looking at the statistics. You know, what's interesting is that the, the the statistics across those three games, including the Arsenal one, are remarkably consistent. We had about a third possession in all of them, but also, you know, had as much ball in the final third of the opposition as they had in ours. Uh, we create we, we 14, 14 and 15 shots on goal and more shots on goal than, uh, than the um, shots rather and then more shots on goal than the opposition in all of those games. So it's a kind of, you know, there's, 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 there's a pattern of play that looks repeatable, you know, and the players seem to believe in it. They all know what you mentioned this, Phil, the other day when we were having a chat, you know, they all seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, they're not being asked to go out on the field to sort of play some role that oh you just try and fit in or work it out as you go along. They've got a role and they know what it is, and they're yeah, also, they understand and they believe in it, don't they? They believe absolutely. in that role, and at the they same time, believe. they're playing with a bit of freedom. It's not as though they're kind of so rigidly. It's not like an Allardyce five but and a bank of four, and it never turns into an attacking unit. They yeah. shift the transition from defence to attack is lightning quick. And and credit as well when we're we're renowned for the sheer weakness and you know ridiculousness of our defence. Oh, Bonner's imperious. Cresswell has really stepped up. He always used to get a lot of groans, didn't he? You know, two assists. Yeah. He was really good. Uh, you know, obviously the new fella, which we've got to we we've got yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, how do you you know he arrived whatever it was two days before slots into our back four and plays like he's been there for seasons. There was a moment because he did his he did the things you'd expect him to do like kind of kind of you know uh, play right back as it were and and you know really really well, but he's alive to things, isn't he? He's 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 good on the ball, you know. Um, uh, but there was a moment um, I think in the first half where he just sensed a danger and and uh, Cresswell I think had been caught out of position and there was an overlap and he got across and made a block. Uh, at yeah. the near post, the left right hand line, side yeah, right line. and I thought that was fantastic. That was international class defending. It was like read the danger, committed, got there, snuffed it out. You know, and you think, well, blimey, you know, in your first game, your first forty-five minutes, I thought he looked incredible. You know, it's early days, obviously, but I thought he looked incredibly impressive. You know, just like fitted in, didn't he? Yeah, you know, player that knows what he's doing. I remember, you know, I remember we sort of slightly thought that getting Nigel Winterburn was a sort of very kind of retrograde step, getting a sort of veteran from Arsenal who was now surplus to requirement. But I think the first game Winterburn played him, we went, oh, yeah, he used to be the left back <laughs> yeah. of Arsenal. That's why he's really good. They've, they've yeah. got rid of him because they've probably got someone a bit younger. But he was Arsenal's left back. That's why he's fucking great, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and this guy is, uh, yeah, absolutely sort of, you know, Slavia Prague aren't any slouches. And... Um, you know, he just came in and just seemed to know what he was doing straight at the outset, as did uh, Suchek in his yeah. first game. <laughs> Suchek was, like, camped out in the other team's penalty area in his first game. I, I mean, I love I love his energy and, and the fact that he is a proper, you know, he's he's not just a breaker-up of, you know, he's a proper box-to-box midfielder. He's a goal yeah. threat as well, isn't he? You know, that, as you mentioned again, when we were on Chatfield, that's still of, you know, when, when Antonio heads that ball in, um, having started the move with the kind of a piece of vision that we would, you would never have had in years gone by um, mm. to take that quick free kick um, and then find space, pull off the, pull off the man for the space for the header. Um, if that header had been sort of saved or hit the post or whatever, Suchek was there to for the tapping, wasn't he? Yeah, like he yeah. got there ahead of the, yeah. you know, and and Fornals does that. Also, a lot, also, you 
Well, I was, I was just going to mention him because, you know, going back to the Felipe Anderson thing, you know, we were we were dead excited to get Fornells. You know, we watched him on YouTube. He looked really good. And it's never quite happened. And Moyes has clearly stuck with it. When I say it's never quite happened, he's never, he's never sort of, ex- to me, he's never excelled. He, he's popped up and scored goals and that kind mm. of thing. And, he, and you can see why they've kept faith in him. I mean, I know everyone talks about the touch for that goal, but, I mean, he was superb. And wasn't it his quick free kick, was it against Wolves that got us going again, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and he's, he's clearly that player that we hoped we were getting. Is We're starting to see that now. Yeah, it's That's interesting because he, he did divide opinion to start with. Yeah. I liked him all along. I mean, I, I, I think he's, he's possibly not the flair player that everyone imagine the kind of fancy Dan Flair player that people imagine. He's much more hardworking. I think, you know, if there's a style of player, he's a bit like, it's that Bernardo Silva bloke at, at City, you know, incredible engine, doesn't stop running. It's like a kind of, you know, um, mad puppy. Um, but good technique, good vision, moves the ball quickly. His instinct is always the first t- first time pass if he can. Um, and, and, and it's got, you know, a range of passing, beautifully weighted through ball for Bowen's goal. You know, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's exactly it. It's it's one imagined that he was going to be a sort of a Santi Cazorla type flair player simply because of his nationality and I think he did struggle in his first few games here definitely under Pellegrini uh, I think you know the pace of the game sort of caught him out and um, he's adapted to it and has sort of you know reinvented himself as a kind of hard-working uh, player who will just run all the time who will track back who will make himself available the whole time you know that um hoofed clearance by Cresswell because the ball came, you know, at sort of chest height back from Masuaku when Cresswell took the the throw in. He was alive to it and began his run from an onside position, which meant that he was way onside when he, um, you know, burst through. And, uh, you know, he just was alive to to the fact the ball was going to go up field at quite a rate of knots. Yeah. Yeah. And an awesome first touch. I mean, that really was. Um, it was stunning, wasn't it? Stunning, that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, the other thing that's really good that, that, that we have up, up top is that, um, Jim, you said this the other day, that Bowen backs himself. Bowen backs himself yeah. to score. You know, if he goes one-on-one in a keeper, he's done it a couple of times now, hasn't he? He's, uh, you know, not necessarily the keeper you know, going down right in front of him or anything, but he does have the keeper to beat and he's got to put a bit of bend on the ball to do it. He's like, I'll do that. That's no problem. You know, um, you know, the old Antonio on a one-on-one with the keeper would often blast it straight at him or into row Z. You know, we often said about Antonio Mark one, he's not good when he's got a lot of time to think about it. You know, he's better as a kind of reactive striker of the ball. Um, yeah. Though that has changed now with Antonio Mark II. He seems to have just developed <laughs> yeah. this whole range of skills in the last six months. Uh, you know, that run into last season and this season where he got, um, you know, recycled as a as a, 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 a up-top target man um, has been extraordinary. But Bowen doesn't have any of that. Bowen is like, you know... Uh, Will, I think his first goal was sort of like curved around the keeper, wasn't it? Was that Southampton? It was like kind of dinked over him, wasn't it? Again, That's right, yeah, through, yeah. From four now, so, you know. Having tried it the week before against Liverpool. Yes, That's right, nearly, yeah. nearly did it as well, yeah. Um, you know, I think that just fills players around you with confidence. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. He's he's ballsy, Bowen. Yeah, I think he's got he's got a bit of self belief and a bit of kind of swagger about him, and and also just again the work ethic. I mean, he's tenacious. If he loses yeah. the ball, he doesn't you know he doesn't shrug his shoulders and and kind of you know he, he chases to win it back, and um, uh, and his finishing is good. I mean, I think you know he had, he, he was a little bit. You know, struggled to get get going, didn't he? With 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 the finishing, he hit the post at Arsenal last season. Yeah, um, a little bit. But those finishes, well, one was a tap in, obviously, but you have to be there again to 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 score it. But um, those other finishes have been have been clinical. The one the one at Wolves and the one um, 
uh, on Sunday. You know, beautiful left foot finishes, really. Never in doubt, was it? Never in doubt. And right in the corner, you know, um, passing yeah. into the net, as they say. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sort of, it's the, it's that instinct to make defenders' lives difficult as well, isn't it? It's like um, Anderson doesn't really seem to have those instincts. You know, what I liked about Sacco was that, you know, Sacco was a good footballer and a good finisher, but he also just wanted to run defenders ragged and make their lives hard. Yeah. Um, because he knew that that's how mistakes come and that's how you put yeah. the ball in the net. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Antonio does that with his physicality and Bowen does it with his movement. Yeah. Word up for Ogbonna. Yeah. Switch focus to defence because Ogbonna, I think, is in the, is in imperious form at the moment. He um, is. Really, really superb. And I would say um, Cresswell does, does do well in that left um uh, side of, of three-man defence, as, as Moyes used him there before. Um, and Balbuena has done okay as he has yeah. come in. But I would say that between the three of them, we will get caught out if we don't have more pace in that back three. Um, so maybe Diop will come back. He's a bit quicker than Balbuena. Um, but, I, I th- you know, if they're going to sign someone, I do think we need another one, another central defender. He is, but you, would, you could, three With pace. You couldn't, you couldn't drop Balbuena now, though, could you? You, you know, he... You, no, I don't think you would. No, I don't think you would. You don't You don't change a you know, side, not just a winning side, a side that's winning so so convincingly. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he did get turned for pace. He did get caught for pace a couple of times in that game. Um, and that's your one worry. That's the one area that the way you think, well, we could we could do with improving. I mean, I, you know, the rest of it. I mean, that front, the front three, and the wing backs, and the two in the central midfield. They they look, they look, com- you know, thoroughly top half Premier League material to me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think there is some good man management there. Like, like you know, Cresswell, since that knee injury, you know, has lost some of the pace that, you know, because he's been with us for a long time, hasn't he? He was hammer of the year. He came under Allardyce. Uh, um, so, you know, it must be difficult for him. But to uh, utilise his talents in a way that he doesn't have to get up and down so much um, is a good piece of man management. If you've got yeah. a kind of ball player in your squad that you want to include, but you can't put them in a position that exposes them or use them in a different way, you know. Um, that's the kind of money ball uh, ethos, isn't it? That, yeah. Manager, yeah. that manager was all about uh, slightly repurposing baseball players to do something else, you know. And um, same with Masuaku, in a sense. It's like he's been in and out of the team for a long time now. Uh, unable to sort of find a kind of standard role. But that sort of wing-back thing, Moyes put him there in his first time after Billich. And there was that game against Chelsea where he absolutely uh, skinned their right back for 90 minutes. And um, there he is back again doing those things that he's good at because he's a good, he's got a good range of passing. He's got a good first touch and uh, he can cause problems and he puts a good cross in. Yeah. I mean, he was solid on Sunday and outstanding against Wolves, really outstanding. Because it's been a real frustration um, that we 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 don't seem to have people who can cross it. And when you see Masuaku and Cresswell crossing it as well as they're doing, I mean, it's one of the things. Bless Ryan Fredericks. I'm sorry he got injured and everything, but God, it was frustrating when you when he, when he wouldn't he couldn't cross. And uh, and and you think, well, we've, with Antonio in the kind of form he's in, and Bowen picking up stuff as well, and having proper attacking midfielders coming behind them, the ability to get decent crosses in is going to be really important. And we started yeah. to do that. We started to do it. Yeah, and it's about working the position for them as well, isn't it? It's about working, you know, there was this whole kind of, you know, you go, but you can go back to Allardyce and the reason why he signed Jarvis and Carroll in the first place was this sort of kind of two-dimensional notion that you just put the ball in the mixer for the big man, you know, and and, and it goes right back to kind of, you know, the Wimbledon days and, and theories that, you know, the more times you've got the ball into the opposition box, the more, um, the higher percentage of goals you score and all that kind of stuff. But really, another interesting statistical feature of those the three games is that in every three of those games, the, the other team put in more crosses than us. And that mm-hmm. tells you a little bit about the kind of pressure they were under because a lot of those crosses were hopeful punts into the box that we dealt with very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 
we have been working different ways of, of, of playing that final ball, you know, um, and it's and, and the crossing has has definitely improved, but partly because you've worked a position where the person crossing it is not under the kind of pressure that they often are, you know. So it's um it's easier to cross a ball when you look up and pick a pick a target, isn't it? You know. Um so it's it's again, it's about the way the whole team is organized and set up and playing, I think. So we've uh, we've got an international break now because we should probably start sort of wrapping this podcast up, and then um, uh, it's uh, Spurs once we're back. Uh, how what do we think about? We've in fact their next couple of games are you know I mean they're part of this tricky run, aren't they? I think it's Spurs and City and Liverpool. Oh God, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's, that's the next three. <laughs> and of course, um, Tottenham um, will it's but will they reckon it's going to be Bale's subsidy, um, debut uh, return debut? Yeah. 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 Um, well, that would be another narrative. Be a beautiful narrative to turn on its head, wouldn't it? That would, because uh, uh, you know. Uh, but probably we won't. <laughs> no. Yeah, but- you know, that's the. I mean, the odd thing is, at least we will go into that uh, without the the sort of chip on our shoulder. You know, we we will go into that based on two very good wins. What well, Leicester was the first time we've beaten a team that started the day in the top two since 2017. Yeah. You know, and that is you know so. So to to you know so what I'm saying is we shouldn't be scared and also um, I I do think the lack of fans is actually sort of helping West Ham a little bit you know that there is yeah, yeah. I know I know you can argue that's one of the reasons why the league's gone a bit mental anyway but the, you know I do sort of think that particularly with you know we you you touched upon it earlier both of you you know there is there is huge you know fan unrest nothing to do with the team you know but it, there is you know and the idea of being able to play without any of that concern going up to Leicester yeah. and not being intimidating you know it was it, that they I think they've really benefited from that and I'd like to think that we would we would feel the same it's at Tottenham isn't it the, is it or is it our place I Oh, I think it's a good question. I could just check that. Hold on. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it was a hard starting set of fixtures. And and just that sort of Tottenham. Just that Philip of having, you know, six points on the board already um, is a huge sort of psychological boost, isn't it? It sort of means that you can just try and put in a good performance in these next couple of games and see if you can kind of get a, you know, a point out of it, you know. Um, It's not not just about the teams that, you know, I hate that feeling right from the word go that you're looking at teams like West Brom or Fulham and, you know, and and think, oh, well, at least they lost or now Sheffield United had a bad run and all that. But actually when you looked... Uh, the the fixtures over this weekend, um, there were there were there were some major teams with some very poor defences, and yes. okay, you know, so what I'm saying is we, it, it may be one of those very odd Leicester-like seasons where you know we, it will be a bit more even than we think, and there will be some odd results already. There have been whether that yeah, continues. Yeah. So what I'm saying is we don't always have to be looking down, you know, I say down, but looking across at teams that we should be worried about because there are some there are some decent sides not putting some very good results together. Yes, so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I, I mean, I think in a way that that what you know what was. Um, what was a shame about that Arsenal performance is that we do have a little bit of uh, arsenitis in the we've actually matched them toe to toe quite a lot in the last few years and always lost it narrowly. You know, yeah. I think I think as you say, Mark, this fact of you know um, no crowds, uh, all of that stuff sort of is levels the playing field out a bit. And I think we, you know, I mean, actually we have already won at their place a couple of years back. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I think we can sort of play without fear and learn the lesson of that Arsenal game that, you know, we should have won that Arsenal game. We just didn't. And, you know, there's there's no, um, you know, we don't have to beat ourselves up about it. We just have to go, well, you know, just do what you did against Wolves and Leicester and you will win that game, you know. And in fact, in that Arsenal game, we did. We did have lots of chances, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As I say, statistically, they're very... They're very similar, those three games. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have a feeling that Tottenham won't struggle from the complacency that I think Wolves did. And particularly with those those two results, they'll be thinking about this game a lot 
uh, yeah, yeah. hard than they would have been. And it's all, I know it's the big, you know, the return of the big hero and all of that. But, uh, you know, Marino clearly sorted Manchester United out very happily at the weekend. And I know they were fairly easy to sort out. But they, they will be, you know, he'll have something up his sleeve for Antonio and Bowen, won't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. Um, I guess we should do predictions for that game. Oh. Jim, what do you reckon? Uh, three all. Three all. I mean, these games are, we talked about it, touched on it last week, aren't we? These games are just incredibly high scoring, aren't they? And it's a bit like that they are very similar to training games for them, you know? Um <laughs> I think the players, the shine has come off those. Though, in fact, the first few under uh, when lockdown, when when games resumed after lockdown, there were some quite high-scoring ones early on. But now it's it's just endemic. There, there's high-scoring games. You know, there were four threes at the beginning of this season, weren't they? Wasn't um, Fulham were in a four-three? Liverpool, Liverpool Leeds. Liverpool, Liverpool Leeds. Yeah, Liverpool Leeds that was a four-three. First two games were four-three. Yeah, I which again, which again makes our two successive clean sheets really look good. Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's against Vardy and Triore and Jimenez, you know, that, that, yeah. and we've kept two clean sheets. I mean, that is that is something. I mean, yeah. we should, you know, and, it, and they surely are only going to get stronger in yeah. that respect. You know, in terms of getting to play the play alongside each other, and that's before even if we think, oh goodness knows, I'm sounding ridiculously optimistic here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, and that's that's presuming we maybe just bring in one or two players as well from from the championship just to strengthen the squad a bit. You know, it's it's. I mean, you're, we're not, I'm not going into this game absolutely dreading it like you often do. No, no. Um, but uh, no, I, I think I'll go with Jim though. I still think it's going to be a draw. Maybe not three all, but I, I would go for a draw on that. I'll go two all then. Two all, two all. All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the bull by the horns and say <laughs> Spurs two, West Ham four. <laughs> two four. That's what I'm saying. Love it. Um, <laughs> yes, do uh, do tune in to BBC Sounds and listen to Manhunt, which I'm enjoying very much, Mark. Um, Thank you, Phil. Much appreciated. I mean, it's, it's just been slowed up by COVID, hasn't it? But um, slowed, it's slowed. The information's still coming in. Just for those of you who haven't heard it, and I, thank you for saying that, Phil. It's it's a, a real life hunt by Peter Blexley to try and find this guy called Kevin Pahl. and um, and obviously when lockdown came along, it's quite difficult to do a real time hunt for someone when you can't really go anywhere. Um, the all the information there's loads of information coming in. It's just we can't do a massive amount with it. But um, we've been commissioned for another six episodes, so uh, it's just a question of getting out to doing them. But I appreciate that, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's um, yeah, he is uh, you know hunting uh, this guy, and and um, um, there was a there was an American podcast called Up and Vanished that, in fact, that guy that did the book of 112 photographs of um, different West Ham fans at Upton Park in the last season. Uh, Joe, I've forgotten his surname. He recommended that to me. And it's interesting because that was about a um, someone who was missing and presumed sort of murdered. And in fact, the podcast sort of um, rooted out the killer the fact of the podcast and the fact that it was on uh, in real time right. brought forward people who gave information that led yeah. to uh, finding the killer. And similarly in this, um, uh, um, Peter, um, oh God, I've forgotten his surname, your guy, um, is putting out, yeah, he's putting out appeals in the same way that the police do, obviously putting out appeals to the people of uh, uh, Liverpool, but also this guy's on the run. So um, uh, the Costa Blanca, there was a notion that he's in Thailand possibly um, for any information leading to his, uh, his capture. And it's a sort of, it's a kind of interesting area, isn't it? Did, did you, did either of you see that Netflix documentary don't fuck with cats no yes it's sort of extraordinary because the public finds and essentially leads the police to uh, a murderer a guy that has killed a man um without the police's help the public pretty much does it through social media 
like yeah. nerds in their bedrooms are kind of like looking at Google Maps of, you know, Google satellite, you know, pictures of areas. And, and it's an extraordinary thing, you know. Um, What's been interesting as we've gone along with this is the way that people have come on board for lots of different reasons. Obviously, at the beginning, the guy is allegedly a double murderer, so quite understandably, people don't like the idea of him uh, uh, being on the run and not facing uh, at least a court appearance, justice. Um, then later on, uh, various other things come out, like he was uh, he was living it up in a... Um, uh, sort of holiday place in Spain. A lot of people got irritated by that. How, how's he doing that? Then some ex-girlfriends came forward, one of whom described how Kevin Parle had, had shown a, a video of his dog, which he'd let loose in a field full of sheep. And um, and a lot again, a lot more people suddenly came on board then and going, God, how, you know, how nasty is this guy? Yeah. We have we haven't done this in this episode yet, but uh, uh, another uh, ex-girlfriend came forward and said that he boasted. We have this. We haven't put this out there yet, but he boasted at some stage that he and some mates had gone to a wildlife park and um, stolen a baby baboon, <laughs> and, uh, and had um, had sold it. Uh, goodness knows where you keep the baboon and then put it on yeah. eBay. I don't know how you would do it. Um, and apparently described how the, the the mother was trying to get into the car and get the baby out and all that kind of thing. Now I know that when that when that ends up there, a lot of people will be very upset by that. That's not to say they're not upset about the fact he might be a murderer, but it, it's interesting how it builds up a head of steam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, all, because these other aspects come into the case, you know. Um, yeah. You know. But, it's uh, funny because, yeah. because, you know, vigilantism is a little bit of a kind of touchstone subject now with, you know, the Proud Boys and all these people sort of defending statues all over the country. But this isn't the same thing. It's, you know, what Beyond Reasonable Doubt and Manhunt uh, are doing, in a sense, is like somebody is doing a podcast in which he has uh, dedicated himself to investigating this crime because the police are very busy uh with other crimes you know films obviously That's show right. a pair of mismatched cops who seem to have nothing to do except investigate this one crime that's the plot of the film and unfortunately life's not like that the police are sort of busy and someone dedicating themselves to um, trying to keep the plate spinning of a possibly um you know cold case is um is you know laudable in a way, and uh, you know as long as they're right about the police, absolutely right about the police. I mean they're they're um, they're not you know they have just got so much on that, yeah. and, and also because for the first case there is somebody serving time for their role in the case, and um, the the two that were accused of the second murder um, are in prison right now, not for that but for for something else. And you you could you wouldn't blame a police force for going well we've kind of we've got some people for it you know um mm -hmm. you know um it, you know maybe not right but it may be absolutely realistic as you say because in the the image in films when they only look at one case is obviously a nonsense yeah yeah absolutely yeah really interesting so i i, I absolutely heartily recommend manhunt look it up on bbc sounds or wherever you get your podcasts i think uh, we've made our predictions haven't we so that yes. might be about it for this stop hammer time Great to talk to you, gents. Um, my yeah. name's Paul Whelans. With me have been uh, Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Mark Sandell. Cheerio. Come on, you irons. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.